and amen. If you have a Bible this morning, you could turn to Acts chapter 8. But I want to tell you a story. I remember standing right outside her door. My heart was racing. Palms sweating. Doubt and hesitation flooded my mind. The battle going back and forth. Don't do it. Do it. You'll make a fool of yourself. She'll be excited that you opened yourself up to her. She's interested. She's totally not interested. Maybe she is, though. The thought finally went through my head. Just open the door and embrace this moment. Share with her what's been going on in your heart. And so I did. I stepped inside the door. We both sat down, and we shared the necessary pleasantries, and my heart was just racing, you know, the moments, adrenaline rushing through my body. You know that moment when you're about to open your heart up to somebody and you just aren't sure how they're going to take it, how it is that they're going to respond. Are they going to embrace it or are they going to be really weirded out by it, right? But it had been on my mind for weeks. I couldn't shake it. I just, I just had to go for it in this moment. And the conversation, it, it got to that point where you're looking at each other awkwardly and she's sitting there wondering like when is the official agenda of this conversation going to be addressed I did tell her after all that I wanted to talk to her about something and so there was no getting out of it at this point as she sat across me so I began on the speech that I had long rehearsed so you're probably wondering what I wanted to talk to you about I really just wanted to talk to you about something that I've been feeling for a while. I don't think my heart could have been beating any faster in that moment. That inner dialogue just racing. The words you're using are dumb. You're an idiot. No, you're not. Just get to the point, right? You just... As I continued sort of stumbling with my words, I decided to just get to the point. Sam, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Sam, short for Samantha, was my boss at Disney's Grand California Hotel where I worked as a valet in the summers that I was at college or home from college. And that particular summer, I was, I was serving as an intern at my home church in youth ministry and we had been talking about evangelism and about sharing our faith and it dawned on me that I wasn't one who regularly shared my faith with people, and so I thought that I would try and engage with this practice myself, and I decided there's going to be people that I interact with and come, you know, have a relationship with that I want to talk to you about my faith, and that evening, Sam was the unfortunate victim of my shoddy attempt at evangelism. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I could tell the whole thing was weird. <laughs> you ever have one of those moments? Many, if not all of us, Christian or not Christian, can probably attest to those experiences or having witnessed those experiences or hearing about the poor attempts of Christians to talk about their faith with people who are not Christians. Even the word evangelism, as I thought about it this week, and even as I said it, I'm looking at some of you just cringing at that word because we don't like to talk about evangelism. There's so many weird emotional things associated with it. But here's a stunning fact about the Christian faith that we discover in the New Testament. There isn't a single person in the New Testament who comes to faith in Jesus independent of the witness of another person. 
There isn't a single person in the New Testament who has some sort of mystical experience, who has reasoned themselves logically into this, who by their own research comes to faith in Jesus. Every person who comes to faith, who decides to follow Jesus in the Bible, always does so because of the witness of another person. People have always and will always come to faith through the personal witness of another person. That is, the gospel is always shared in relationship. The gospel is always shared in, we re- in relationship. And this is one of the things that we know to be true about the Christian faith. In fact, if you look at the research, almost universally, Christians know the fact that part of their faith means that they ought to share it with the world and with other people. The Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples, Jesus says, to the church. We know this. It, it, it's striking, actually, the research. We don't agree on all sorts of things about the nature of Jesus, if he was God, if he wasn't God. I don't know, maybe the reliability of the scriptures, the truthfulness that we can extract from the scriptures. But there's one thing that all the research indicates that we know universally as Christians. We ought to share our faith. And yet, and yet, only one quarter of all professing Christians even have conversations about their faith regularly. And the bar for regularly is very low. (laughs) It's just like 10 times a year. 10 conversations a year about our faith, only a quarter of us are even engaging in that practice. But people by nature, we are evangelists, right? We're evangelists. Pepsi or Coke, which one are you dedicated to promoting for the rest of your life? iPhone or Android, right? I can, I can do a whole sermon on why it's better for you to text with the blue bubbles and the green bubbles. I can do that. Dodgers or Angels, that's an easy one, right? Like that's... California or any other place to live in the world, right? Any other place is terrible. Ventura or Buena High School. This I haven't quite sorted out yet. But you could go through the list of our preferences. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I don't know. Apparently I offended a handful of people. Buena? You guys are all Buena fans, right? Yeah, no. Okay, all right, all right. (laughs) But any sort of preference that we have, music genres, hobbies, how awesome your grandkids are, right? I hear about grandparents telling how awesome their grandkids are. They just can't talk, help but talk about these things. By our nature, we share things that excite us. We share things that make us happy. We share things that we prefer, things that are deeply meaningful with us. We cannot help but share them with our friends and family and neighbors. We share these things. But when it comes to Christian faith, Christians don't. We just don't. Why is that? Why is that? There are any number of realities as to why we resist evangelism, why we resist as Christians, why I resist personally as a Christian in sharing my faith with other people. Right at the top of the list is this reality about evangelism. It's awkward. (laughs) It is awkward to engage in conversations about our faith, right? Like how do you even begin that conversation with somebody that you work with? So, uh... How do you know anything about Jesus, right? Like, like how, do you, how do you begin that conversation? What do you start with? What's appropriate? Evangelism, it feels awkward. It feels awkward to talk about God. It feels awkward to talk about Jesus. It feels awkward to talk about spiritual things with people. And nobody 
except for the weirdos in here, enjoys awkward, right? Nobody enjoys awkward. There are a few of you who are like, I love awkward. Uh, I've got questions for you. But awkward, it keeps us from all sorts of conversations with people, right? It keeps us from all sorts of conversations with people. We don't talk to people about those things hanging out from their nose holes because we're really nervous to create an awkward situation. Like, you got a booger there, right? Like, we don't do that because it creates an awkward tension for us. Parents don't talk to their kids about the birds and the bees because it's awkward for them. Couples don't talk about the birds and the bees because it's awkward for them, right? There's all sorts of conversations because they're awkward that we don't engage with, and evangelism can be awkward. But it isn't just awkward. One of the other realities about evangelism is that it can be offensive to many people. Evangelism can feel very offensive to people, especially in our culture today. You see, we live in a culture and in a society that values individuality, right? We're free. We're free. We're Americans. We love the individual, individual rights. We love these things. But there is nothing more offensive than imposing your beliefs upon somebody in a society that values the individual, trying to overcome their will and tell them that they are wrong. This in our culture and society makes it very offensive to try and share our faith with people. But on top of that, the claims of Christian faith are often received as sort of condemnation towards any other belief system, right? Like you know this all over the place is if we are sort of proclaiming and talking about truths that we believe in, it almost feels like we're just telling people that they're wrong, that they shouldn't believe the things that they believe as if we're condemning them, right? We, we come across sometimes in our conversations about faith like that harsh parent telling their child what to do. Even if the message was good, the method of delivery is received as harsh, right? You tell your kid to do something, they're like, I don't want to do that, right? You're overcoming my will. I don't want to do that, right? Even if what the parent is trying to say, the way they go about saying it really matters. The, depending on how we say it, we'll, we'll be met with resistance or not, right? Is that evangelism can be offensive. But there's this third reality about evangelism, I think, that keeps us from engaging with this kind of work. Is that evangelism will be met with rejection, it will be met with rejection. Is there anything worse than rejection when you put yourself out there? There ain't anything worse than that. I remember as a high schooler inviting a friend who lived just a couple of houses down from me. Adam was his name. He was in my neighborhood and we, he didn't go to church. His family didn't talk about church. Faith wasn't a value. I don't think they had any sort of religious values at the time. And in my church, we're always talking about, like, we got to invite people to church. we got to invite people to this, that, or the other thing. And every time I would approach the conversation, like, all oh, this is awkward, offensive. Like they, like, they would raise up, and they would keep me from wanting to engage in an invitation or extending an invitation to my friend Adam. And I remember doing the really, like, tricky thing where you invite them to come stay the night at your house on a Saturday and they wake up on Sunday morning and so you're like, oh, we're going to church. Do you want to come with us, right? It's like, this was my plan. So I invited him and I, I did it with just like so timidly. I was so nervous and Adam just like, nope, grabbed his stuff and left. And we never talked about it and we never, right, we never bridged that gap again. And that sense of rejection for me just kept me from ever engaging with him again. Through these, rejection is terrible. 
But because of very real experiences or very real fears of awkwardness, fears, very real fears of offending people, right, and fears of being rejected, we disengage from any sort of efforts of evangelism as a church. And even more than that, we, we, don't, we don't even not do it ourselves. We just try to avoid being associated with people who do these types of things, right? Like we don't even engage conversations of faith because we know there's these crazy images people have of lunatic Christians in their offices that we don't want to be associated with, right? We don't want to be associated with the pushy religious guy in the office who forces awkward conversations with people, We don't want to be associated with the awkward Christian who instead of leaving a tip at their table leaves the fake million dollar bill that gives you the four spiritual laws. We don't want to be associated with a religious zealot who finds some sort of pride in offending people who have different beliefs and faiths. You know those people who are like, well, I just, I, I know the truth. And so we disengage. And in fact, we don't just disengage. We actively avoid having conversations about faith with colleagues, neighbors, family, friends. We sit on the sideline of this work and hope that somehow, maybe there's a great speaker out there, that somehow people will come to know Jesus and the way of Jesus on their own. But here's the thing the New Testament teaches us. The gospel is always shared in relationship. What we need is not to do away with evangelism, but to reshape our imaginations for evangelism? Is it possible to engage in personal evangelism in healthy, unawkward, unoffensive ways? Is it possible to have spiritual conversations with people, family and friends, without being that awkward, weird person that everybody is trying to avoid? We need to engage with this kind of work as Christians. One of the hallmarks of the Christian life and of the church that we have to embrace is that we are fishers of men and women. And if we don't do this kind of work, are we on the same mission that Jesus was on? I hear a no, or I saw a no. I want us to look here in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26 and read through verse 39 at a passage that perhaps might reshape our imagination and give some insight of what it looks like for us to engage with the work of evangelism. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. If you ever just happen to be like walking by a bus stop or something like your your office and you hear somebody reading aloud the book of Isaiah, you know, just on the, like this is a great opportunity for you to present the gospel. Just if that situation occurs. 
But this was the passage he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they looked along, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me, of my being baptized? Pause real quick. Total side note. One of the things that happens throughout the scriptures is sometimes there's verses removed. So if you have your Bible and you're like looking at it, it goes from verse 36 to verse 38. And the astute, attentive people are like, what happened to verse 37? Go find out later on your own. Okay, here we go. Verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Ah, the Ethiopian eunuch. This is an amazing passage of scripture. I want us to just identify and see five things in this passage that can help us reconsider what evangelism might look like for us in the 21st century. Now, there are no fill-ins for this. This is just extra stuff in your notes. If you want to like write these five things down, I would encourage you to do so. It'd be really helpful. I should have made better notes. I'm sorry. I apologize. But before I say anything about these points, I want us to be reminded of something that's really, 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 really terribly important here. Is that evangelism necessarily flows from a people who are responding faithfully to the things that we've talked about in previous weeks. That is, evangelism flows out of a community of people who do the things that we've been talking about the previous four weeks. We can't do evangelism and not do the other things. We have to be learning how to live like Jesus if we're going to do evangelism. We have to be in authentic community with one another if we're going to do evangelism. We have to be using our gifts for ministry And we have to be engaged with compassionate mission in the world if we're ever going to do evangelism. If we miss any of those things, forget evangelism. It just, it doesn't mean anything in our world today. As I read one pastor say, we need to live what we tell and we need to tell why we live. So here are the five things that I want us to see in the passage. First is this evangelism is spirit-led. Evangelism is spirit-led. In verse 26, we see it's Philip directed by the angel of the Lord. And in verse 29, it is a spirit who gives further instruction to Philip about where to go and where he ought to sit and where he ought to be and who he ought to speak with. Sharing our faith should be an activity that we are led in by God. This is important because we don't want to be people who are forcing our own will on other people, right? And so it should come of no surprise, this is one of the fascinating things as I was reading some of the research and data about these things, that people who are more likely to share about their faith is they're much more likely to pray regularly. They're much more likely to be engaged in reading scripture on their own. They're much more likely to be attending a worship service regularly. Is that they intentionally do these things so they could stay attuned to the spirit of God in their own lives. And this is the crazy part of all the data that I was reading is that those people who do share their faith, they all report almost collectively that they don't force or seek ways 
to manipulate situations so they could share their faith. They just arise in the midst of their lives, in the midst of their ordinary lives. They're attuned to the spirit. They don't need a chorus. They don't need a force awkward conversation on their bosses. They just look for opportunities to share their faith in authentic ways. Second thing is that evangelism connects us with people different from ourselves. Evangelism connects us with different people, different kinds of people, people who are very different from us. One of the things that's really unfortunate about the church in 2019 is that we are the one religious group that is least likely to have friends that are not a part of our religious group. We love the holy club that we get to be a part of. We love hanging out with each other. We love just being friends with each other. We love inviting just each other to each other's houses. When we go to work, we love associating with other Christian people. We love this activity about us. But this is what that has done, is it's disconnected us from people who are different from us. We are people who are least likely to have friends of different faiths. We are people who are least likely to have friends of no faith of any kind. And what we see here in Acts is we have this Jewish Christian man, Philip, who walked with Jesus, connected with this Ethiopian government official. Can you imagine, in this world, you couldn't get people who were further worlds apart from one another, and yet the, the work of evangelism, it connects people, connects people who are different from each other. I wish I could ugh, say more about this. We gotta be connected, church, to people who are, un- who are not believers. You gotta seek friendships with them. You have to seek and, and have friendships with people of different faiths. This is important work for you as a person, but for us as Christian people in particular. We need to be friends with people of different socioeconomic classes than us. We need to be friends with people of different cultural backgrounds and races than us. The gospel is for everybody, and who we connect with is revelatory of the fact of what we believe about the gospel. Third, and this, oh, this is so important. If you don't write anything else down, write this down. Evangelism is welcomed. Evangelism is welcomed. In verse 30, Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch doesn't, and then he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. You see, Philip's question in this moment, it's it's a request of permission. Can I engage in conversation with you? Do you understand what it is that's going on here? He doesn't rush anxiously in, hey man, I can tell you exactly what this passage is all about. I know all the information and you don't know anything apparently, right? He doesn't do that, but his question is a sincere one. The positive response of the eunuch to engage conversationally is this affirmation that the Spirit has been along in this conversation, in this meeting, in this moment together. How might our attempts to engage people about faith be changed if we asked questions and listened without judgment to what they were dealing with, for what they believed, for what they were thinking about when it came to life and the world? What if we just sat and listened to the world around us about how they were processing meaningful things about life and faith and spirituality. And only after listening, we still sought permission to share our faith-filled thoughts and hopes with them. Can I share with you what gives me hope in difficult times? Question. Can I share what my faith says about love? 
question. May I share something I'm learning at my church about that issue? It's a question. Is that when it comes to Christian witness, we're not people who are just trying to dogmatically enforce and impose our beliefs on other people. We are looking for opportunities to engage people in willing conversation about the things that they believe, about the things that guide their lives. Fourth, evangelism shares Jesus. Evangelism shares Jesus. This may seem obvious because it is, but we need to be reminded. It isn't centrally about making a compelling argument for the Christian worldview. It isn't just about proving the legitimacy of the Bible from a historical perspective, though these two things are important. Evangelism is centrally, here it again, about sharing Jesus with another person. It's about sharing that in Jesus, we discover a God who invites us belong to the family of God. That in Jesus, we can have relationship with the one whose image we bear and we can be restored in relationship with other image bearers in the world. That in Jesus, we discover the depth, width, height, and breadth of God's love for us. It's not about just offering instructions about how to live. It's about directing people to the one who can empower them to truly live. It's not about how our life was changed. It's about the one who changes lives. Evangelism is always about Jesus. You see it in the text. Philip tells the eunuch, oh, you don't understand? Let me show you how that directs your attention to the person of Christ. Fifth thing is this. Evangelism doesn't force a decision. Evangelism, hear this again, church, it doesn't force a decision. Do you want to pray the prayer of salvation? Not in Acts chapter (laughs) 8. Not actually anywhere in the book of Acts. Can I pray with you a decision to follow Jesus? You know what, if we just close our eyes and raise our hands, none of that happens in the New Testament. Notice in verse 36, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Through conversation and engaging with this eunuch, read verse 36 with me. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What could stand in the way of my being baptized? Who makes the decision? The eunuch. (laughs) Do you understand how important that is? We have conversations with people about faith. So often what we try to do as Christian people is we have some sort of agenda. We have some sort of, sort of conclusion to a conversation that we want things to go. And so we try and force it and we try and move people into a direction that they ought to follow Jesus and pray this prayer of salvation. Doesn't work that way. Evangelism is your bearing witness to Jesus. Conversion, that's God's work. That's God's work. And he works somehow in our faithfulness to proclaim and bear witness to Jesus in the midst of that. All right. I usually don't do points. Points are really hard for me. But one of the absolute privileges I've had in recent weeks, I I sincerely mean this, has been to meet with you individually in coffee shops and restaurants and hear about your stories of faith. How did you come to know Jesus? How did you make your way into this church? It seems so random that all of you are here, right? But, and although all of the stories are unique, 
and all the stories have their own little twists, there's this common thread I began to pick up on, is that each one of you that I've talked with and engaged with were introduced to Jesus by someone else. That person was typically not a pastor, dang it, or a staff person at a church, but there was there was this, always this moment where there was that one person in your life who sort of redirected or opened your eyes up to a new reality and introduced you to Jesus. And for some of you, these stories resulted in this dramatic life change where you, for the first time, began to realize that your life had meaning, that your life had purpose, that you were not a mistake, that you, you had something to do with your life, that God had a plan for you and how you ought to live. And you had never heard that before. You had never heard before that you mattered, that your life mattered. And there's this person who boldly and courageously entered into a conversation with you that revealed the gospel and directed you to Jesus. And your life hasn't been the same. For some of you, you grew up in the church, right? <laughs> and you're like, I don't know, I prayed the prayer of salvation when I was seven with my mom. And your testimony has been that that, that that moment that I met Jesus has been an anchor for me in my life. That has been with me through good times and bad times, but it has stabilized and served as my foundation. But all the stories, they're the same. There was somebody who introduced me to Jesus. This is always how God is going to work through the church and through his people. And I began to pray this week. I began to pray this week that when I leave in 30 years, that's right, you're not getting rid of me, church. I'm here for 30 years. Maybe I'll do 32, just a little bit longer than Dan, right? But I'm just kidding, just kidding. I can do 30 because I want to be just short of Dan because I couldn't live up to it. But in 30 years, my prayer has been that when you replace me with some younger, cooler pastor, which will be hard to find, that this church that this church would be able to sit with that pastor and testify that the people in this church were the ones that pointed them to Jesus for the first time. That they will tell her about their friend, Oslin, who had first invited them to youth group. That they would, they would tell the stories of, of Dean inviting them into a, a small group study for the very first time in their lives that they would just sit there with that pastor and just, this church, these people, they introduced me to Jesus and it, and it just changed everything. And my prayer has been that the next pastor of this church will be able to sit in their office as I have done with tears in their eyes just weeping about the witness and testimony of God's grace at work in the people of God how God used this people to grab a hold of somebody's life for the very first time to teach them the good news about Jesus. How cool would that be if that was happening in 30 years in that office? Because here's one of the other realities about evangelism that we have to grab a hold of as a church is that it will be met with acceptance sometimes. It will be met with acceptance. Evangelism has to be a part of what we do as a church because there are people who are open to receiving the gospel news about Jesus in the world. There's a qualifier to that. Our commitment to evangelism, though, can't ebb and flow with our emotions. It has to remain a communal value and priority for us in the long run because here's another reality about evangelism. 
it might take years for someone to make a decision to follow Jesus. It might take years for somebody to make a decision to follow Jesus. Look no further than the Gospels. Look no further than the Gospels. You got these 12 guys who literally hang out with the incarnate Christ for three years. They were literally there. Jesus audibly asked them, hey, come follow me. I'm going to make you. Like they heard those words spoken over them by Christ. They watched him walk on water. They watched him feed 5,000 people. They watched all of this stuff. And at three years of witnessing, they heard the Sermon on the Mount proclaimed for the first time. After hearing the teachings, after seeing the miracles, they didn't commit to Jesus for years. Three years. We have to play the long game as a church when it comes to evangelism. Sorry, I'm wrapping up. I know I'm going long. Four years of coaching. I coached at a high school. I told you this story. For the first time this year, two guys from that high school soccer team came to an event a couple weekends ago at Point Loma Nazarene University. Not church kids, not Christians, but they went to this thing they sent me these long text messages after the event. That was incredible. I've never felt so loved. Man, I just feel like I just belonged with his, your church like I had never belonged before anywhere. And one of them texted me. He was like, hey, I'm taking you out to dinner because I want to talk about the weekend. Four years. Four years to get to that conversation. Here's the last thing we need to remember about evangelism. It is worth sharing. It's worth sharing. Your faith is worth sharing. This news is worth sharing. It's an obvious thing, but Jesus and the gospel are worth sharing. This is the greatest news that the world has ever received, that God is for us, not against us. That our creator has come into the world to reveal his love and to share his life with us. I'll end with this here. Paul writes in Romans, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves in 2019. How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? What if church, what if you got to play the role of evangelist, the role of messenger of the good news in someone's story of faith? What if you were that person what if we, church, got to play that humble role of inviting witness to a world that's searching for Jesus? Let's leave behind the awkward, offensive, uncomfortable, strange ways of talking to our bosses in the office about Jesus and instead be a people who are led by the Spirit, who share with a listening audience the good news of our Lord Jesus. How might God move in a community of followers who lived with that kind of boldness. Let's pray. God, God, we, we proclaim that we don't just come here for our own edification, to make ourselves feel a little bit more spiritual or made whole, although those things happen. The church has long been about bearing witness to who you are. And we want to do that in 2019 in Ventura, California. And so we ask God that you would 
grow within us a desire and passion and a maturity and awareness of how we might bear witness not only with our lives, but with our words as well. We want to see people know you and to know Jesus. Lead us, lead us in that effort. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.